Hi there. Thanks for listening to MIMT's podcast number three. My name's Graeme DeGoldie and I'm rapt to be talking today to a name many therapists would know, Robert Rob Granter. I wanted to talk to Rob today about how and why he got into my therapy and what took him from the Victorian Western District's town of Warrnambool and what drove him to change his career path be interesting to know how he sees the soft tissue therapy industry moving forward. A myotherapist, an educator, musician, a lover of the environment, let's chat with one of the legends in the industry, Rob Granter. Testing, testing, testing. One, two, and, yep. come on the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, welcome, Rob. Welcome to the MIMT podcast. You're the third person we've, we've uh, had on our uh, series which um, was started uh, not that long ago. So we've really wanted to talk to you because just uh, you're, you're like the guru, the, the little bit of a, a legend in, in the industry and I thought it'd be really nice to get you in so we can have a really good look at what, what directed you into the um, myotherapy field and education and stuff like that. But uh, um, how long have you been in the industry now? I think it's over 35 years. I haven't actually you know, um, tallied up the, the, the exact numbers, but it's around that sort of number. Yeah. yeah. It's a long time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I remember um, – I, I can remember us touching base, and I, I, when, I, when I say this year, I, it sends a shiver up my mind, uh, up my spine. Uh, we first connected – I think at about 1990, 1991, mm. I can remember we did a course together with Michael Stanborough yes. in, in, in Box Hill. In Box Hill, yes, yes. <laughs> All those years ago. And it just, uh, if I say that to a class nowadays, uh, yes. most of them haven't been born. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it certainly gets that way. Um, so you, you come from... Um, the Western Districts of Victoria come from down at uh, Warrnambool, mm-hmm. beautiful place. So where did you grow up around there? And Yeah, well, my uh, father was um, was a fitter and turner at the Nestle, but it wasn't called, of course, Nestle in the country. We call that Nestles. Yes. The Nestles factory in, uh, in Dennington. So, oh, okay. Um, so that was uh, an outer suburb of Warrnambool, but not really. It was a little, it was a, a tiny hamlet, you know, out of Warrnambool. So it was own self-contained little, little place. So um, tiny school, three rooms, one for the preps, uh, one for the sort of seniors, and one for the rest. So it was a, a tiny school. Mm. So you know, walk to school it was just a, a beautiful little, you know, close knit community. So yeah. that was my earliest sort of memories of being in uh, in Waterbourne and, and Dennington. Den- Dennington, yeah. Shane Howard um, was just around the corner of of, um, of Goanna fame, so uh, I, I was good friends with his elder brother, and um, it was um, yeah, it was a great uh, it was a great community. Yeah, for sure. And um, your mum just a stay at home mum, and mum was a stay at home mum until all of um, of us children. Left the home, and then uh, she got involved in uh, in retail work in in Warrnambool, mm-hmm. and worked for some menswear clothing, and worked for Target. Yeah, and, uh, and that really changed her. From uh, she really blossomed when she you know got from being um, you know with us with the, the the headaches of three children and and being able to you know to start forging her own way in uh, her career, and you know she loved that. Mm. So uh, there's yourself, uh, are you the eldest in the family? I'm the youngest. You're the yeah. youngest, yeah. yeah. Two sisters. Right. So um, two great sisters. I don't think I've had an argument with any of my sisters, you know, for our entire mm. lives. They've you know, both been really, really supportive of everything that I've done. Various stages of my life, they've um, allowed me to stay with them to, you know, when I, when I first came to Melbourne, I stayed with Heather Um uh, as my first port of call before I started mm. becoming independent, when we, I went to the Northern Territory and stayed with my sister Kathy, 
uh, for a whole year. So oh, um, wow. yeah, so you know, they've always been you know really very close and, and very supportive. Australia. So when you went to the Northern Territory, uh, was this after you completed school and? Uh, yes, I I completed secondary school. I'd done had an attempt at tertiary um, study doing engineering, but I dropped out of engineering. Mm-hmm. Went to Melbourne and was involved in just clerical work. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't really leading, you know, too far, so I thought, mm, it's a good time to hit the road. So a friend of mine jumped in my old EJ <laughs> Holland, and we um, had no plans. It was just, let's just head north, and we're just going to keep going north until until it's warm. That was our only plan that we had. Oh, so, um, yeah, we just headed off and, uh, and got to about Rockhampton. Um, and I decided to call my sister, uh, Kathy, just to say hello, and that we're in the vicinity, even though we're probably 3,000 kilometres away. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she said, oh, my, my husband's um, Mark is just going in for an operation for a knee, op- knee, for knee surgery. If you can be here within two weeks, you've got three months' work at the National Park. So that's how that whole thing happened. So we just made a beeline for the Catherine Gorge National Park and ended up um, working there for 12 months. Oh, wow. Mm. What, what sort of stuff were you doing there? I was a labourer on the yeah. excuse me on the national park so everything from cleaning toilets to planting trees to mowing lawns to to um, putting in new walking tracks and uh, exploring new walking tra- it was just it was a phenomenal job it was great oh, i loved it yeah mm. you, you 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 can see that you've, you're really passionate about the environment um from the post that i've, I've seen you put up did does that stem from your time up in the Northern Territory, or, do you, or, or did you have that passion being like a, a, a country boy? Uh, was, was it there? Was it all instilled? Yeah, there? I think it was there, Graham, right from the word go. I remember some of my earliest, you know, fantastic memories of going away at Easter with, uh, with our parents um, up to Hall's Gap. It was an annual trip, mm. and there's a whole bunch of us, about probably six families would all get together and all drive from Warrnambool in a convoy. And it was the most exciting thing for a young young child to, you know, that that Thursday night, everyone sort of, um, you know, getting together in, in their cars and the chitter a chatter, the excitement and jumping in the cars and all going up to, in, in those days it was quite an adventure, you know, to, it seems nothing these days, but no. you know, a few of the hills that we had to get over, um, you know, people had to put some cars into reverse and reverse over that. that that's how I'm, I'm really talking like I'm, I'm from the past century. Here, yeah. You know, but, uh, yeah, it was pretty exciting. Uh. It was great. So, but you know, camping at the um, at Halls Gap, it was just um, it was just phenomenal. And we'd wake up as as kids in the morning and and we'd be gone for the entire day because there were so many other kids in the families. Yeah. We we would literally be in the bush climbing mountains, doing crazy. Things, but always in the bush. Nothing destructive. Just no. Just loving the bush and 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 playing in the creek. And that, I guess that was the thing that first, you know, really alerted my love for the for the environment. Mm. You you often uh, head down to Tassie, yes. Tasmania a bit. Um, that's pristine, isn't it? Yeah, but still love Tassie. It's um, one of their favourite. Parts of the entire world. In fact, we lived there for four years as well at uh, one stage of our lives because we, we just loved it that much. But every chance that we would get, um, we'd go and bushwalk in, in Tassie and it was uh, it got yeah. to the point where we were, we're going so regularly, we, thought, oh, let's, we might as well move there because uh, you know we're going there so, so often yeah. and, and loved it. And what did you do? Well, let's go you know, back a step. Uh, you've grown up uh, down Warrnambool Way. You've gone to school there you've you've traveled um at some stage you you met your wife your beautiful wife christine um and then you've you've uh headed down to tasmania was this before you had kids or it was yes yeah, yeah. and what yeah. did you do when you were down there well in Warrnambool, uh, this is where chris and i met she was doing a fine arts degree and mm. i was doing an arts degree so we met there and um we both uh, it's funny as as it may seem, but one of her favourite um, Easter holiday spots was the Grampians as well. So, <laughs> yeah, cool. so uh, that was very, very cool. So we, had, we both shared a, a great love for the environment. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so we met uh, We met there and um, 
Yeah, I'm not, um, not sure. I've lost track of where we were going with the yeah, conversation. Yeah, where we going? What did got, you do got, when you were down so, in I got Tasmania? so involved in the, in the Grampians. Yeah. My mind was, was climbing mountains and having fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were, we were uh, – what did you do in yeah, your time down yeah, in Tasmania? Yeah, yeah so um, in, in, with my, my, my arts degree, I um, started working in youth work and, uh, and education. And um, – so a lot of that work was was um, supporting kids that had been unemployed for a, for a period. So Centrelink would have um, you know quite a long list of people that had been unemployed for a, a long period of time, and the idea was to bring them into an education program and just get them out of that rut of being long term unemployed and improve their skills, lift their confidence. Um, you know, we did a lot of camping with that group as well, and got the, got them out and and got them in. Uh, you know, intermingling with with their uh, other other people, we just created social networks for them. So we did that in Warrnambool, and then we, when we went to um, Tasmania, did the same thing in in Tasmania. Mm. So, um, and what what drew you to so- social work? Uh, good question. I think it was um, up to that point. I'd done clerical work. I've been a labourer in a national mm. park, and I got to the point. I came back to Warrnambool and thought, mm, I don't really have any, any long-term skills. I actually need something that, that is going to give me a, a career path. And I actually went down to the uh, Institute of, of um, the, sorry, the Warrnambool Institute of Advanced Education and just um, had a, a discussion with the councillor there and just said, well, what, what, what can I do? I've tried engineering, didn't really like that too much. Um, what are the other options? Is the you know, I didn't really want to move out of Warrnambool. I thought, no, nah, having been to Melbourne and the Northern Territory, you know, mm. Warrnambool was just a, a place I wanted to stay for a while. And I had this lovely person. She was fantastic. And she thought, have you ever thought about, you know, cancelling and getting into social work? And I just hadn't thought of it really at all. But it kind of matched my my natural, you know, like yeah, enjoyment yeah. to help other people and to, mm. to lead people from a position of, um, you know, of, of disadvantage, if you like, to, to a better place. So, yeah, I guess that's that was the, the whole impetus. Yeah, and and as, as a, a youth worker, you were, I suppose, really getting engaged with, with the, the community down there. It would have been hard to, to leave that particular part of the world if you were meeting and helping people down yeah, there. Yeah, it was. It was – I also got um, – a part-time job there as uh, as community education officer as well, which was an incredible job. Going to different uh, disadvantaged groups or groups that weren't well catered for with education, and coming back to the TAFE College and actually helping to to put together um, education programs specifically for those groups, or plugging them into existing um, you know education uh, programs. So yeah, I was heavily involved, but I guess the social work just just. I think I just threw myself into it that much that I probably was a bit burnt out toward the end and just looking for a bit of a change because um, it was just um, it was it was all, all consuming. Yeah. yeah, I suppose it would have been well, it could have been emotionally draining as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, and you, and you couldn't. This is where I was attracted to to massage therapy because any changes we made in social work they were small increments, and whereas with massage therapy it was just. Hang on a sec. We can actually change people's lives, you know, fairly quickly. In fact, mm. in, you know, in an hour or something, we can help somebody. So that really, that um, really alerted me to, to well, that's taking helping people to a different level. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But what, what did you think of massage? What, what, what sort of? Because there's a, you know, there's a bit of a gap between um, sort of social work. Mm. To, to to massage, what what drew you to that? I mean, was it through your experiences with other therapists, or it was? Yeah, it was directly as um, from experience from the from the patient's point of view. I'd had a number of you know nasty car accidents and things, and I had chronic neck pain and, and low back pain. And um, I've been to physios, I've been to osteos and chiros, and I had you know certain degrees of success with that, but. I just stumbled across this massage therapist, and um, and she just was just extraordinary. I thought, what in the hell is this? Is Anna Johnson doing working away in this little tiny room, you know, at the back of a of a building when she's providing such extraordinary relief, you know, to me? Mm. So um, yeah, that was that. I guess that massive um, mind shift for me is thinking, 
why is this massage stuff, why is it seen as a peripheral thing? It's just crazy because it's got just as much power, just as much, um, if not for me, it was certainly more, it was, it was the most effective modality that I'd, I'd had by a long shot. Yeah. yeah. And, and was that person, um, was she formally trained or was it an oh, intuitive good, type of thing that good she Good question. Did? Of course, in those days, we're getting back even further, yeah, you know, yeah, the opportunities for, for doing courses. Right. I'm not exactly sure where, uh, where Anna did do, certainly there was nowhere in Warnable where you could do any no. study. Um, so I really don't know. Yeah. So, um, but she was fabulous. She was absolutely fantastic. Oh, that's great. It's good when you meet a, a, a great practitioner. And obviously she had a huge sense of uh, influence on, well, your, your life path after It was, after it was dramatic, yeah, because then when I went, I, did, I finished my degree and um, even, you know, studying for the degree, you get aches and pains and, and I, I would see Anna, you know, on a regular basis right through the, you know, the, my degree when I went to start working. Mm. Uh, I would see her again on a regular basis because I just it was just such a sensible thing to do. We, we moved to Tasmania. One of the first people we sought out was you know where's the where's the local fantastic massage therapist in Tasmania? So we found Ray Spinks in in Bernie and, uh, <laughs> in Tasmania, and so we'd go see Ray. We just became part of our lives because it was just so important. We were playing music a lot in those days, so there was a lot of you know there was. Lots of rehearsals and travel and things. So that's, um, that's yeah. a, an interesting topic. <laughs> yeah. uh, for those that don't know, Rob plays sensational guitar, and you were in a band called. Well, lots of bands, but in, in Tassie, the uh, couple of bands were um, the Bass Straits was uh, <laughs> was one of them. Um, another was um, Native Pepper. Yeah, that was probably our most successful band in Tassie. That was probably yeah, that was probably Tassie's leading sort of folk acoustic swing band. So, yeah. uh, But before that, it was um, other obscure bands like Cecil Nestle and the Hot Shockettes. <laughs> so um, that was in my kind of jug band yeah. era. Yeah. And then we played, I played in rock bands for many years as well. So, Oh, fantastic. So Iris Kane was probably, a, and another band called Keys, which were, again, very, very mm. successful in that Western district. Know, District. Yeah, we weren't internationally famous. No, <laughs> okay. no. no, that's that's fair enough. And you still you still play? I yes, I see. yeah, yeah. And what's your your favourite sort of genre of music? Oh, look, I think anything that brings emotion, Graham. I think it can be anything from opera to to a cappella to rock to to jazz to you know to mm. to really anything. You know, lots of um, indigenous music. I mean, whatever. You know, really creates emotion and brings that beauty of um, of human creativity. Yeah. So I think I, I love everything that's. Um, and I, I dislike stuff that's just played, you know, to a formula or with, and it, it might have technical brilliance, which some jazz has, but it's got absolutely zero amount of emotional mm. uh, connection with it. So yeah, I guess that's that's. I love everything that's got a strong emotional connection. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Um, so you've incorporated you know, your, your nature, your, your ride into music, and uh, you've experienced some really great um, practitioners uh, through your journey. So at, at, at some point you decided, okay, I'm going to get into this massage therapy. So what... what what happened there? What what was the catalyst, and, yeah, and where good, did you? Very good question as well. We're in in Tasmania. We had a beautiful block of land, thirty acres on the northern boundary of the um, Tarkine oh, Rainforest. Thirty acres. Yeah, oh. we had. Um, it was an extraordinary place. It was uh, quite isolated. So, um, but it was like just taking stock. We'd had our first child, and uh, taking stock of the future, and thinking, yeah, is this really going to provide you know a long term income and uh, are we going to, you know, flourish as a family living mm. uh, where we were? So taking stock of that, it was like, hey, what, what can I do then? What's, what's a good career path? Should I pursue more the, the, um, the social work stuff? Or, but hang on a sec, we've got so much benefit out of this massage business. And I really, at that stage too, felt that um, 
there was a real need, you know, within me to to make massage a, a mainstream modality available for for um, for all to you know to enjoy. I mm. guess because at these days there was no such thing as myotherapy, where no. the only options we had was was massage therapy. So yeah, I just had that thought. There was just so much scope to to develop it as a career path. But I I guess there were kind of infant baby steps. Mm. But as I as I came and um, enrolled in the course at RMIT, uh, wasn't that long before I think it was only in the second in my second year that I got a job in a sports medicine clinic, and then yeah, you really started to see what was you know what was required, what sort of skills were required. Um, and looking at learning from uh, from doctors, looking you know learning from physiotherapists and podiatrists and others, uh, you know in the whole um, in that whole network, thinking, wow, we've got an extraordinary place to um, to play here. Mm. It was still in those early days. It was still like, okay, here's our sports medicine centre, and let's put massage in the back corner of the and offer that as an additional. But that was that was good though. That was one of the that was probably well was the first I think it was the Malvern Sports Medicine Centre. It was one yeah. of the first um, multi-modality uh, clinics to um, to offer massage therapy. There was another therapist there, Leela Leela Walls. Well, Leela came later. later. Yeah, yeah, I hired Leela. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. So um, the only person that was there was Rob Teeny. So Rob hired me. Mm. But at that stage, it was a relaxation practice, mm. and even though we're in a sports medicine centre, Rob Teeny. Uh, his training. In fact, he was a, a, a co-student of mine at RMIT. But but Rob was still. Again, his thoughts were that massage was relaxation. That was his mindset. his, his mindset. Yeah. Yes. Um, because I'd had this incredible long history of you know working say with with Anna and and the direct impact that it had in resolving pain and improving function. For me, it was was way more than that. And so um, uh, when Rob eventually left and I was then given the job of coordinating massage therapy we turned the lights back on again and uh, <laughs> and uh, not that you know we're discounting any of that stuff but it was it was there was too much emphasis on the on you know on the whale music and not enough you know on the let's let's resolve your problems let's yeah. what's going on here you know what yeah. can we do let's get um, let's get and resolve those issues yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, we're going to uh, in the, the second half we're going to really focus on the the industry uh, as a whole um, who influenced you in your music, like, did, were you from a, a, a family of musicians, or was it another thing that you you were mentored to or pointed towards? Yeah, another good question. Uh, my mum, I could clearly, my, both my parents were into music. Oh, fantastic! But um, but mum, being a staying at home mum, she was into classical music, and I can remember, and and she even points to this, um, you know, to me just as a almost as a baby crawling up to the. The loudspeakers in the on the stereo, or might have been a mono in those. Yeah, days. It would have been. Talking yeah. about um, pre-stereo. Sorry, we're thirty-three. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> dinosaurs. But um, yeah, 30, <laughs> absolutely. And she was just a standard. Sometimes she'd come into the room, and there I there I'd be sitting next to the the speakers, listening to classical music, just completely quiet. So mm. yeah, so mum had a, a profound influence, but dad. Dad um, was a drummer, so in his oh, in his early days, so he had, he had drumsticks. So that's all we had, you know. That was the instrument was drumsticks. So yeah. he taught me, I mean, pick up the drumsticks, how to hold them, and that was about it, you know. But I just loved to bang things with the drumsticks. <laughs> but Dad was really into big band jazz uh, music, mm. which I really loved. He also uh, was into uh, gypsy jazz. He was the first person to turn me on to Django Reinhardt, which again was probably one of the turning points of my life when I first, uh, you know, later. This is not when I was. Two. This is later, when, you know, in in uh, in my career, but listening to um, the extraordinary guitar playing of Django Reinhardt just just completely um, blew mm. my mind totally. <laughs> um, what in the hell? Where did this person came from? And I mean, we might discuss this later. But anyway, one of the gems of my life was going to Paris and going to the little cafe where where Django and the Hot Club de, de France. Um, to Frontier um, played, and these were just these were world famous musos later, 
but the size of the the cafe was like the room that we're sitting in at the moment. You know, it was like <laughs> tiny. And you think this is where Django and Stefan Grappelli, this is where they play, this is where they started. Yeah. But anyway, that, that was so. I guess Dad was a big influence there too. Yeah, yeah. you've had um, you know quite a few influences. You know, obviously your, your parents with the with the music, um, uh, your therapist in in Warrnambool have all sort of pointed you in a, a specific direction and uh, lucky for us you, you've chose the industry that you're in. We're just going to take a short quick little break and uh, we'll come back to talk to Rob about um, the industry per se. Get Okay, we're back uh, with Rob, uh, and in this uh, part, I'd really like to sort of focus on Rob's growth within within the industry and um, how he tr- treats and and where he thinks the industry is heading as a whole. So, um, just going back a step, you, you studied as a social worker. Then you've got in and you've done uh, a massage course at RMIT. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assume you went to RMIT because it was a, <clears throat> at least a state-recognised course at that particular time. What, what drew you to RMIT? Yeah, I think um, there wasn't a lot of options. I guess there was a few options, but mm. I think we just asked around We just um, and just got some advice as to you know, where people would be um, uh, suggesting that we go. And at that stage, it was RMIT. It was, it was, just, it was just beginning. Yes. So it was the, we were the very, very first group through. So, and I guess it was that, you know, that advice of people saying, yes, well, it is, a, you know, it's at, it, is, it is at RMIT, so it has got, you know, a good degree of, of credibility. Yeah. So yes. um, that's a good place to start. Yeah. Um, so when you, you got... Into the course, it was was it remedial massage or was it the myotherapy at that particular time? It was remedial massage. massage. It was called yeah. an applied certificate. Yeah, um, certificate three, I think, in applied science in brackets remedial massage. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, years later, it changed to uh, to myo, didn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah, there, was, yeah. there was incremental changes leading up to that as well. So yeah. And, and once you started to get uh, your hands on, did you f- you feel like, hey, this is this is exactly where I'm meant to be? Like, did you did you think like some people, um, you know, they get a, a or they do a massage and uh, they just think, well, you know, th- this is exactly where I'm meant to be. Uh, I, I love helping people. I like that uh, increasing range of movement uh, and the like. Where it, it's it's something that's got to take you from the get-go to for you to follow the, the whole education plan through through to the end. So there must have been that sort of catch. It, it caught you, the bug caught you, so to speak. Yes. I'm, I guess my previous experience as a... As a as a patient was the the big thing, knowing that it had such incredible um, potential to 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 return people to great function. So, um, but I guess I was still thinking I didn't have the skills, I didn't have enough skills, you know, I didn't have enough experience. So I was just absorbing absolutely everything I, I possibly could. So there was, mm. I guess, at the early stage, it was, yeah, look, I'm I'm really happy that I'm working where I am, but but I was one of the first. Therapist, massage therapist in a sports medicine environment. You're working with some of the best physios and, and doctors in town. There's a lot of pressure, you know, to, mm. to perform, and, and we were we were needing to, you know, to to establish ourselves as a credible part of that sports medicine environment. So it was a kind of a bit of a fragile um, relationship there. So there's a bit of stress in in terms of trying to again establish that credibility. But um, that was good. We just met us, you know, being more diligent, being mm. being very open with, um, and also to looking at the way physios and doctors worked, and 
and seeing how can we best connect with these people. What's what are the key elements that that will increase our our, our acceptance as a as a um, as a you know frontline uh, important modality. Yeah, yeah, and I, th- I think that that's one of the biggest steps in the industry uh, was be- being accepted per, per se to to have a connection, uh, particularly with sports in the sports medicine environment. Um, I, in in my own experience working w- with the physios at the uh, sports medicine centre, I. I they're normal people too. They're not, not, and they're interested in 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 understanding uh, what you're doing. I, I too, I always thought that building that bridge, uh, it wasn't impossible to do. It, mm. it just needed communication and and, mm. and and talking to the therapists and and the uh, other practitioners there. But uh, you've. You're very strongly clinically based in 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 education in the education sector. You know, like you, you teach a lot of clinical assessment. Was it was that? Do you think that was really really important to to say, hey, listen, we're 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 not just remedial massage therapists or my therapists. Look at what we're doing. Was it? Did you want to really go in deep with? Um, I suppose expressing how good we are as practitioners. Yeah, I thought that was the weakness at that point of the industry is that um, I would go and get treated perhaps by somebody else, or even our lecturers at that point still didn't, to me, didn't grasp the full potential of the of the of the um, of the profession of, of remedial massage therapy, and I think. The biggest thing was lacking was 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 assessment, and that's for for a doctor or for a physio. Assessment is the ultimate thing because how can you plan a treatment if you don't know what's going on? It's as simple mm. as that. But but in you know massage therapy circles, often it was assessment by palpation alone, mm. which certainly has its place. There's no question, but it's not going to cut it if you're trying to convince a doctor or a surgeon or whatever that you've got a um, a, a role to play or a you know, a, a health fund or anything like that, or a government agency of you know that that we are a standalone profession. We need to be proving that um, uh, what we're doing is is um, you know is clearly uh, yeah it's it's clear to demonstrate the changes you are making. So how can we do that? Well, we have to we have to assess before we treat, of course, and then we treat. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do a trial treatment to make sure we're on the right track, and then make sure that you're on the right track by reassessing and yeah. and then, then you can learn from if, if something's not working, then you can tweak it and, and but if you don't I mean assessment to me is you know is the core of the of us developing as a as a, as an individual practi- practitioner and as a profession with um, and it doesn't I mean I'm not saying we need to do um, lots of um, of research because research is so difficult because yes. obviously we, we demand, uh, double-blinded um, trials, and it's impossible because because a person would need to know that they're either in the control group or they are in the in the um, the research group, if you like. So, if they'll know whether they're getting something treated with their hands, I mean, that people know that it's stupid, mm, you know. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm in a in a trial for, for for low back pain or something, you know. So. And they can maybe talk to one of their other other participants. And you know, the idea of doing research, you have to try and you know find a control group or a, a control modality that is that is sham. Mm. And it's impossible to do that with yeah. with, with with a hands on modality. So exactly. it's going to be very very difficult for us to to do double blinded trials. But the same token, we can see a patient, we can assess their available pain scale, um, we can assess their their function in terms of their you know whether it's their balance, whether it's their Particular um, uh, performance at a joint, whether it's range of motion or strength, and do an intervention, and then and then test the effectiveness of that by by your your, your post treatment uh, assessment. So, I think those kind of um, to me that's the you know the critical element of, of getting that credibility established. Yeah, I think uh, nowadays there's a fair bit of sort of research that associations and. Um, uh, uh, Bringing to their the notice to the therapist that hey there's there's uh, research out there, um, it's 
I think it's really, really important that we understand what the how to read the research and make a, 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 your own judgment. Um, and I think that's over the last uh, three or four years. That's certainly lifted. I mean, there's units in research now, understanding research. But yeah, as you say, it's, 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 it's vitally important to 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 be guided by what's happening and there's some great things here. I'm not in any way, you know, underestimating the importance of, um, you know, of research. And, yeah. And no. again, and the research is, it, uh, is best um, when, it's, when it can be easily um, uh, interpreted and, and made available to, you know, to us so we can actually use it in the, in, in the clinic. But, um, but things like even like, okay, does massage... Uh, help in low back pain. Well, there's two assumptions there: that massage is one thing, mm. that low back pain is one thing, and those two, two concepts things. are completely and totally yes. ridiculous. Yeah, because with low back pain, it could be a you know a, a number of different you know uh, reasons why you've got low back pain, which you need to figure that out as part of the whole process as well. And then when you do massage, myotherapy, whatever intervention, there's a, a thousand ways of doing that as well. So you know that's the that's the difficulty is making sure that. That we understand that you know that, and proudly say that um, that research is fantastic. But you cannot pin your hat totally on research because because our our work particularly is a, a beautiful combination between science and art. Mm. And you know I can I can point to many people that can massage a lower back dreadfully, and I can point to people that can treat and do beautiful things to a low back and do it exquisitely. So yes. you know there's there's a there's a thousand different. Uh, Increments between shithouse and sorry if I can use that word <laughs> and and, and excellent you know so um, there's um, yes in like any profession but we, we want excellence that's what we're after in every every a aspect absolutely I totally agree um, so just going back for, to Malvern Sports Medicine you you obviously uh, created a really good synergy uh, within the team there uh, from there. Where did you go to from there? So you you're at Malvern Sports Medicine for how many years? Four years. Yeah, and then you went to to Olympic Park Sports, Sports Medicine, Medicine Centre. Yeah, and that was a and that I guess too from a listener's point of view, it's like you know taking stock of of where we are at the moment. Where are you at the moment? Are you really happy in your work environment? Are you being mm. are you being fulfilled? You know, do you feel valued? You know, in in your current work environment. And if you if you don't, then look around. I mean, you, I've heard of people working in clinics that they are, you know, they're clearly not happy. Um, there's a real chance that they stay there. They might drop out of the industry. Well, don't do that. If you're not happy and you can't change it within the clinic, then look around for for more happier yeah. environments. So for for me, it, I was working at Malvern Sports Medicine Centre, and I was reasonably happy there. But what the, the big point there was that I I got a job. Um, working with the Australian Institute of Sport swimming team for the Olympic trials in, uh, in for the Seoul Olympics in 88. And then not long after that, I got a job, I was offered a job to work with the national swimming team in their final camp uh, before they hopped on the bus to go to the Olympics at Seoul. Yeah. So you know, to me, that were they were major... I, I thought, wow, I've, I've really achieved something here. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I came back to the sports medicine clinic, really thought, thought that somebody would say, you know, I'm not expecting, you know, yeah. you know, whatever, flowers and chocolates, but I just thought it'd be nice that one person might have said, Rob, great job. Not a single person in that clinic said a single word of congratulations. And I said, you know what, that's it. I'm looking around. And um, Peter Bruckner um rang me one day and said, would you mind coming in and, and seeing if um, you'd like to perhaps work at, at Olympic Park? And at that point, Olympic Park and, and Malvern Sports Medicine Centre were, 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 were enemies. Yeah, yeah, like. opposition. And Absolutely. so, no, no, I would, if it was, you know, two months before that, I would have said, no, you know, I'm happy, I'm happy here and I'm, and yeah. I'm, and I'm working for the, the Tigers and you're on the Bulldogs and I'm going to stay with the Tigers kind of thing, you know. So yeah. I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done it. But I just thought, you know what, if I stay here, this is just going to be a staid environment no one's no one's no one's celebrating each other's achievements and so when I went to talk to Peter Bruckner it's completely the opposite you know his leadership style was one of, of totally celebrating and and 
together. I mean, we're doing this as a team, so why don't mm. we celebrate this as a team? And that was to me, hang on a second, I've just walked into into utopia. This, yeah, you know, this, oh, this, absolutely. This clinic's being led by somebody who, who's got great values. Mm. So you, you, I think uh, it's quite funny when I reflect when we first met, I, I think you were working with the Victorian Swimming Squad at that particular time and I thought, holy hell, that is sensational. How did he get that? <laughs> I've always, uh, I, I always look back at that and I think it was a huge inspiration for me early in my career mm, you know, to get into, uh, into the, the sports um, area of, of massage and working within a team. Luckily, I was fortunate enough to do that a couple of times. So um, you, you, you had some time at Essendon. Mm-hmm. What was that like? That was great. It was it took a long time to get happening because um, even way back in the 90s, um, I was working with Tim Watson and a lot of the players from my home practice. Um, and Tim was trying the best he could to try and get me to be part of the paid um, medical team at Essendon. But um, when it all came to, and Kevin Sheedy was keen as well, but it all came down to the accountant. And the accountant was saying, what the hell are we paying this Rob Granter fellow, why would we pay him? We can get these trainers for nothing to, you know, to do yes. massage. Again, yeah. it's this idea yeah. that massage is one thing. There's no, yeah. there's no, there's no levels of goodness or badness. It's just it. So why in the hell would we spend money on paying for somebody when we can get it for nothing? So yeah, they just it took so it took a long time. Got to the point where once the the bombers um, had a terrible season and they had a a, a camp down at. Um, down the coast somewhere like Torquay. Yes. And Sheedy got up and said, right, this year is going to be different from last year. You thought it was hard last year. Well, it's going to be twice as hard. They're <laughs> going to work you five times. We're going to run harder. <laughs> We're going to get in the gym ten times yeah. more. And Mark Harvey, who's one of my patients, stood up and he said, no, we're not going to do that. He said, if you, if you expect us to increase our load, you need to provide professional massage therapy at the club. So, um, and Sheedy was just gobsmacked, really. So a lot of the other players said exactly the same. He said, you, you cannot expect us to work any harder if you're not supplying the, yeah, the, um, appropriate. the, the appropriate support for us. Yeah. Wow. And so that's when I got a, interesting, I got a phone call from the physio not long after that, and uh, who I'd, I'd known because we, you know, I was working with Mark, I was working with Tim, I was working with a lot of the players uh, externally. So the physio said, oh, Rob, um, can you arrange, please, to have um, 10 students to come out and, uh, and work at Essendon? We've had this camp and we need more massage. I said, no, absolutely not. No, if you want this to work properly, I will be happy to, to, um, to put together a team of, you know, of paid professionals. But no, I'm not going to get students to come out and, and work for nothing. Mm. So, oh, no, we can't do that. Okay, we'll see you later then. So hang up. So next day, phone rings. Right. We've actually got some funding, so let's. Can we get this get this whole thing? <laughs> so it's a really good advice for anyone out there listening as well. Like, you know, like stick to your guns, make these things because because people will go the easiest route, and what's the easiest route in a in an organisation is to do something for nothing rather than pay for it. Yes, but uh, again, you had the players on side, and we've got Sheedy on side, that um, and then the the. Um, accountants then, you know, decided that we, in fact, we did have money that we could allocate to that support. So that's how it sort of happened. Yeah, yeah. You've you've built great relationships with 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 a lot of sports people and um, and administrators. Is there one person that sort of sticks out in your mind as? Geez, I was wrapped to meet this person, or you've had a long-term relationship with. Um, there's probably a lot more than just one, but I, <laughs> I'm just thinking: is there, there one that sort of springs to mind? No, there's not one. There's just I just cannot pick pick one. There's just so many. Well, what's you know, that? It's like, two. <laughs> you know, it was one of my. You know, well, working with Debbie Flintoff King was oh, one of my fantastic. great. Um, she's such an extraordinary person. Anyone who hasn't uh, seen her gold medal victory at the Seoul Olympics, um, get onto YouTube, you know, this evening as soon as this podcast <laughs> finishes and watch that event. It's, it is the most amazing event. 400 metres hurdle, Seoul Olympics, it's there on YouTube. Watch the Flintoff King win that gold medal. 
Um, so Debbie, uh, so many people. Tim Watson, who who now is uh, everyone knows Tim as a yeah. sports reporter for mm. Channel Seven, an extraordinary man. Just a he was one that tried his hardest to to get me at Essendon for so many years. I was seeing Tim twice a week for for perhaps the last you know two years of his career. Yes, fantastic man. And um, James Hurd's another another person who had a you know very very close association. With and it's just such tragic um, to see you know James um, you know be dealt such bad yes. um, cards and and to be kind of almost left an industry where he he was such a you know mm. extraordinary you know contributor to the to um, yeah so through no fault of his own and I still say that very very positively that mm. from no fault of his own he was somebody that did everything absolute to the letter um, yeah so James but. But uh, people like Nicole Stevenson. Nicole mm. is now heading um, AFLW. Yeah. Um, great administrator and phenomenal swimming commentator. I hope she's at the uh, at the Tokyo Olympics. There's no no better commentator than her. Mm. But um, she was the person that uh, basically one of the key elements of starting my career. When you talk about you know how did I get involved with the the um, the, the Vic swimming team? Well, it was you know through Nicole. So I met Nicole. You know, on one of those trips that I said when yeah. I went to the to work with the AIS swimming team, um, Nicole was there. Uh, I was working at um, Melbourne Sports Medicine Centre. Nicole was a sponsored athlete at Olympic Park, and uh, and when I treated her in in Sydney and in Canberra, um, she came back to Peter Brookman and said, "Peter, you got to get this Rob Grander fellow to, to come over to." So, <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? So, so Nicole and. Karam Khan, who was another patient of mine at Melvin, because he was a doctor at Karam, who was the first person to jump ship and go to Olympic Park. Um, both those people were, were at Peter Bruckner to get me to go to Olympic Park. And obviously they twisted uh, your arm to contribute to clinical sports medicine while they were at it. Yeah, well, that was just a natural progression of, um, of again, it was, it was us that um, up to that point... Olympic Park was a fantastic uh, centre, but it wasn't doing any educational um, classes. But we started at, you know, myself and, um, well, myself, we decided to, to run, um, we were obviously involved in in sports quite a lot. So lots of folks were saying, well, can we learn this stuff? Okay, great. Well, so we started running courses out of, out of Olympic Park and we would use the physios and doctors to contribute mm. their components to that. And then Peter, that was incredibly successful and, and Peter was involved in you know, giving talks as well from the doctor's point of view. Yes. And, uh, and naturally two and two equals four, thinking, hang on a sec, this works so well for the massage therapy industry. Why don't we do it for, for the doctors? Why don't we do it for physios? Why don't we do it for podiatrists? <laughs> so then we started the, you know, the... The um, soft tissue injury forum, you know, yes. it's an annual event, and that yeah. you know, three hundred people would come and talk about soft tissue injuries yeah. and get all those professions together, and then it became, um, you know, obvious that hang on a sec, there's just no textbook that, that teaches this stuff, and then so um, Karam Khan and Peter Bookner were the, were the real instigators uh, of that, and we had a meeting at a at a um, a Thai restaurant in Johnson Street. All the, the pick, people they picked out that were going to be contributors to the book. So we had the dinner, and then Karam and, and Peter got up and said, "Right, this is this is the plan. We're going to you know to write this uh, write this book, and you are all invited if you want to to contribute." So that was how it. Uh, that was I was there right from the very very start. Oh, what a fantastic opportunity! And, yeah, it was uh, great. And what a what a textbook! It, it's it's the go to for nearly all practitioners. So, so to, much, yeah, so yeah. much information. And I look and at it even now and I just find gems and there's just so much. Just by all means, for those that have got the book, open it, please, yeah. and, and examine it because there's just so much in there. Um, I know we're starting to run out of time a little and I've got so many more questions that I, I'd like to ask you, but it might mean we'll uh, have to do a follow-up one, Rob. Right. Um, You've been an educator for uh, a long time. Uh, you've worked with the Southern School of Natural Therapies. You're with RMIT. You've been with us for a, a long time. What what drew you to being an educator? Well, before I even came to the profession of massage therapy, myotherapy, um, uh, with my previous role as a you know social worker, youth worker, um, I was involved in you know education uh, for getting these these long-term unemployed kids into, you know, improving their, 
their numeracy skills and their life skills generally. So I did a part-time um, TAFE teacher's course at that, that point. So I taught guitar as well. I taught photography as well at that same, at that same era. So I was always sort of, always liked helping uh, people in that environment. So when uh, I was at RMIT, uh, Colin Morley was a course coordinator yes. at Southern School of Natural Therapies and they didn't have a, a sports massage course. And he was the, I was the only person that he knew that was working in a sports environment. So Colin invited me to come over and write a curriculum and actually do a, a course. So that was, I guess, that was where it came okay. from, is that yeah. there was just nobody else around but me to, uh, at that stage, to, you know, to do it. So, and then, um, and then my business, though, got, you know, my, my practitioner business got mm. you know, so big, it was like something I had to walk, walk away from. And then... Um, I think I must have I mean, I must have connected with with you in mm. in around two thousand and four, mm. and um, I think we you know decided that yeah let's do some some ongoing yeah, training same. here at MIMT yeah um, and that's so that's we've been here since two thousand and four so that's a long <laughs> long time it is uh, and and we've loved every minute of it believe me um, and a- outside. Of your, your your practice and uh, your, your training here at MIMT, uh, you also have your own um, postgraduate education um, facility, um, the Australian College of Soft Tissue Therapy, and I was uh, a guest and of uh, one of your courses that you ran with Joe Elfingston. Mm-hmm. What a sensational! Uh, evening that was great. Yeah, she's yes. an extraordinary person, isn't she? Yeah, absolutely. So, do you do you see uh, like movement, and that's probably a way I'd d- describe it. Like, she's very um, practical. Absolutely, yeah. In the stuff that she does, and to make, very, makes the complex in, into into, into achievable chunks yeah. that anyone can really t- t- take yeah. on and implement. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do, are you running any more courses like that? Well, with, we certainly are. Um, Joanne's on our list to um, to do a, um, a webinar with. Mm. So, but again, at the moment, she's just very very busy doing other things at the moment. So, yeah. So, the Australasian College of Soft Tissue Therapy is something that we. We'd hope to to maintain a, a webinar um, series. Um, we've already done one with with Karim Khan and Peter mm. Bruckner, and we've got we've got Jill Cook, we've got Ebony Rio, we've got um, Sue Mays, the head physio at the Australian Ballet Company. She's doing one soon, so there's a number of things that we can that we are doing. Yes, Joanne will do one as well, but um, those will be you know on the on the schedule yeah, for the future. But yeah. if, if people go to Facebook and look at Australasian College of Soft Tissue Therapy. They'll they'll see what we're up to. Yeah, you certainly kept busy. <laughs> um, so, we, we've, you've been in the industry a, a, a long time. Is, is there any sort of nugget of advice that you would you would give to any therapist, student therapist? Is there some nugget that's deep in the Rob Granter? Yeah, I'm a bit realms? like. Uh, KFC here, Graham. I could probably. It's pretty hard to give you one nugget. I could give you perhaps a, <laughs> a dozen, you know, a dozen nuggets, you know. But let's, let's try and within the time frame that we've got. But I, I just think again, it's that idea of you know why, why did, you, why were you attracted to the industry? And it's probably because you wanted to help people. Mm. Um, and again, are you moving towards that vision? You know, um, are you happy helping people and you know being productive? If not. Um, like we said before, if the if the work environment is not fulfilling, is not giving you great satisfaction, there's lots of clinics out there that are great. So if the clinic that you're in is not giving you good um, good joy, then look around for, for mm. some something else. You might be at home and thinking, yeah, look, I love working at home, but I just um, maybe I'm not being I'm not being introduced to a lot of other a variety of the different um, of mm. different practitioners or different patients. So you think I might I might spend some time working with a clinic, you know, so to, just to broaden my my scope. But I just want want us all to perhaps to think of just take stock of where you are. Are you happy? So is your body happy? Is is um, do we need to do something to you know to improve our our skills so we get less stress on our on our body so we're not we're not feeling um, you know overworked from a physical point of view. What's our mindset like? Are we are we around people that um, 
that uh, are joyous people that celebrate your achievements, yes. you know, or are you mm. working in an environment where a lot of people are really tough, chronic low, you know, chronic pain sufferers that that um, that it that it's just hard. Uh, it's it's great to do that work and it's fantastic, but maybe we need to have that balance between some you know some bright up people and some folks that are that are in in chronic pain as well. So I guess that's the thing: is take stock of where you're at, yes, and what can we do to improve your situation. So I think it's, it all boils down to making sure you're looking after yourself as a um, as um, yeah. Are you happy? Are you fulfilled? If not, let's let, let's move to that. Let's also to have that inquiring mind. I mean, I think. Every YouTube clip you get to or every course, people will tell us stuff about how wonderful their particular myotherapy or, yeah, or, or massage therapy, but have a discerning mind. Like, don't just think, well, this person showed me this treatment regime for shoulder pain. Oh, that's the that's it then. That's the No, it's not it. There's a thousand different ways. Mm. Really we want people to be, to be critical of what they're, what they're being told, being able to, to sort out the, the, the good information from the not so good information. But also to remember that that your hands, the skills that you've got, are incredibly, incredibly powerful. Absolutely. And I think what I encourage people to do is just be really, really good at the the basics of assessment and 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 treatment. I think that's the the essence. And um, and don't go looking for all kinds of different modalities. Like you've got a mm. set of powerful tools right in front of you here. We just need to get very, very good at um, at using them and um, and being in a happy environment to make sure that you are valued in that process. We've got one last question. Uh, where do you see the industry going, say, over the next 10 years, the industry being sort of remedial massage myotherapy? Where, where do you see it in 10 years? Yeah, I think I think the industry is, is beautifully positioned. I think... Um, uh, my therapy is about to be reaccredited with a new course, as we mm. as we both know, being on the committee to reaccredit that course, and there'll be lots of new things added to that to even make it um, uh, to you know to be be more exciting, more um, more uh, additional stuff to make the whole uh, my therapy um, profession um, more 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 to offer, I guess. Um, Remedial massage itself, again, is well positioned. The fact that we've got um, rebates from all the major uh, health funds, mm. you know, it's, we're just in a beautiful position that we'd be, a lot of other countries are very envious on. Of, we've, we've got great establishment with existing health um, professionals. We just need to make sure that we, that we keep those, uh, those channels, you know, really um, alive and, and, um, and like you say, that, that involves to the research side of things as well. But it doesn't have to be the double-blinded trials. It can be the, the, the clinical, the, the case studies, those sorts of things that can still show people that what we're doing is, is clearly uh, observably um, uh, important in terms of improving function and reducing pain. So, yeah, yeah. I think we're in a, in a fantastic position. I think also, too, I think um, there's a lot of movement within physiotherapy circles to not do as much... Um, uh, hands-on work mm. and I think um, this is almost like where I started from when I first started physiotherapists were getting into a lot of um, electro modalities and yes. not doing a lot of and that was a boon for the for the for the massage therapy industry that was way back many many years ago and I think the same thing's going to happen if physiotherapy goes in the way of of being hands-off then suddenly um, you've got you know even a, a greater uh, need for people to be mm. to be helped directly and, yeah um, and that's obviously super important. So I'm pretty excited about the about I, the future of the industry. I think uh, I, I share that excitement with you. I think uh, remedial massage, well, massage, remedial massage, myotherapy. I think is set for a, a, a wonderful decade ahead. I think it's setting itself up beautifully. I can only uh, concur with what you've said. Um, I think that uh, we would probably need to. Uh, have another <laughs> podcast with you, Rob, because there's just so many little snippets there. There's still still more things I, I'd like to ask you about your your, uh, your opportunities that happened, uh, you know, with the Commonwealth Games and Olympic Games. We we didn't really touch on those, but uh, I just wanted to say thank you for imparting uh, so much knowledge to so many people and being a, a, a genuine. Uh, approachable 
person, uh, particularly at, at the, the level that, that you're at. I think you're a great inspiration for many, many students, and, and you were for me. Um, and I know that the, the industry is in a much better place because of the, the high expectations that, and benchmarks that you've set as a, a practitioner and a trainer. So we might wind it up there, Rob. I, I really, really thank you for coming in today. I'd also like to thank our executive producer, uh, Andrew Garner, who's, who's been sitting here with us today. Um, but thanks, Rob. That was just brilliant. And I hope to uh, get you back on a podcast again soon. Great, great. Thank you for, for your very kind words. And thank you for the invitation to, um, to both speak today and to teach at, uh, at MIMT. It's been a, a fantastic experience for me. Good on you. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Bye. MIMT would like to thank our host today, Graham Goldie, our guest speaker, Robert Granter, and the producer, Andrew Garner. This podcast has been brought to you by the Melbourne Institute of Massage and Myotherapy. Get there with MIMT.